Welcome, everyone. This is all about Windows phones. <laughs> Insight Podcast 199, recording this on Thursday, the 24th of November 2016. I am Steve Litchfield. With me, I have, after a gap of a week, when we had a guest in, we have Rafe Blanford. Yes, hello, everybody. Back on the show this week. Thank you to our guest last week and all that chat about the uh, HP device. Uh, back to talk about all the usual things around the Windows 10 mobile, Windows mobile ecosystem. Uh, I guess we're one one before the big 200, but we may well have a special treat for you for episode number 200. So kind of watch this space for next week or maybe about 10 days time. We'll uh, talk about that maybe towards the end of the show. Uh, but for now, we've got quite a few little bits and pieces to get through, and I'm sure we'll have our more detours into the wider mobile musings. Yes, indeed. Well, let's start with the fact that the All About Windows Phone 8.1 app by the, for Windows Phone 8.1 is no longer available, along with an awful lot of other Windows Phone 8.1 applications. It seems that uh, this has been coming for a while. We've been doing various stories about how Microsoft are having a bit of a prune through the store, trying to get rid of abandonware. Now, it's a bit cruel to call the All About Windows Phone 8.1 app abandonware, but let's face it, you haven't done anything on it for three or four years. And I, and I suspect you didn't fill out that nice uh, uh, age and content filter form earlier this year, Rafe. So are, are we bothered? Yes, I think you're probably right about that. I probably missed an email somewhere along the lines. And of course, I've been using the new AAWP Universal app, which is fantastic and does a great job. And also for the website course, you can read it just in the, the browser as well. And that works well. Um, the originally AWP app, as you say, is you know a few years old now. I mean, it did did win a few awards in its time, <laughs> um, but I think you know, I can see some of the numbers coming through in terms of the number of people using it, and it is a, a relatively small percentage of people. And of course, uh, most of those already have it installed, and it continues to operate just fine for those people. Um, it's going to be unusual for people looking to reset and uninstall it. Um, I will try and get it reinstated at some point, but I suspect I, like a lot of other people, were, were caught out. I know, Steve, um, you managed to come across a few just on your kind of own list of things yeah. uh, based on what, what you you think had things like MetroPass, kind of smart, smart lights, uh, Photocaster, Pinterest Beta, uh, and a couple of others. And I, I'm sure there's a lot more. I mean, it's very noticeable if you look at some of the uh, store listings. There's definitely been a decrease in uh, pruning of some of those old applications and usually we complain that microsoft doesn't do enough of that for doing the right thing the fact that we're caught up in it is uh, maybe a bit unfortunate but that's entirely my fault so <laughs> i'll accept the blame for that one yeah the interesting right thing rafe though is that people who have become particularly used to a, an old 8.1 app even on their you know upgraded or windows 10 mobile device something like metro pass for example which is a secure database that i've used quite a bit in the past uh, and then let's say you reset your phone because it's not working properly, or let's say it breaks and you buy a replacement, whatever reason you happen to kind of start from scratch and restore from a backup. Now, restoring from a backup restores your data and your settings and so forth. But when it comes to the application files, the restore basically has hooks into the store and it grabs the, grab the latest version of each application um, and also saves storing all the application binaries in, in the cloud. So, which is fine, apart from when it comes to these old applications. So then you, you go through restoring Mr. Rave Blanford's um, uh, phone and all of a sudden MetroPass or WinKey or CodeSafe Pro or whatever 
is not available. So you basically just doesn't get restored. And when you go looking for it in the store, it doesn't come up under search. You can go into my library in the store and it appears there, but then it doesn't let you download it. It's it's just very, it can be very, very strange. It can be very inconvenient. I absolutely appreciate that. But in the wider context of Microsoft trying to do the right thing and produce a store which is cohesive and more modern, uh, more up to date, less abandoned wear, less old stuff, less niche stuff, on balance, I'm about 60-40 in favour of what Microsoft's doing, but I do accept there are going to be some people out there who are rather cross. Yeah, and I think quite reasonably so. I mean, I think it, it, it's one case where you've got something like the AAWP app where there is an updated version, so if you search for it, you'll, you'll find it and you'll be able to use it. And I think, okay, that's great. Uh, but for other applications where there isn't a replacement, you do wonder whether there would have been some workaround. I mean, we always talk about this, especially with... Uh, Microsoft kind of shutting down services, particularly for the older devices, some kind of archive, and particularly if it's being restored from a backup, it's not beyond the wit of man to imagine a way that it could know that it's, you know, making a, a, a request after a restore or something like that. And some of those old applications, which you've absolutely accepted, you've gone, that's fine, I want it, yeah, uh, and have that come back. But I do accept that that would add extra effort and complexity. So it was always going to be something that's unlikely to to happen. But it does also speak to the disadvantage of having phones that kind of restore from the cloud. I mean, it always used to be when you did a backup of your device, you tended to do it locally. And actually doing restore would restore all the applications and all the data as well. Of course, these days, it, you know, this is the same for iPhone and for Android. It will uh, attempt to restore by downloading from, you know, the App Store, Google Play Store or the Windows Store, whichever platform you're on. You know, you don't see this problem very often because it's unusual for apps to be removed from the app store by developers. But sometimes you do get compatibility issues between different versions of the, the platform. And that's essentially what we're sort of seeing here with Windows Phone 8.1. But actually, it's somewhat artificial because it's a, a Microsoft requirement. And technically, I suspect all of these apps would continue to work fine. There may be exceptions to that. And I guess we have saw, have seen that when there's been some upgrades uh, in the past. Um, so it, it's one of those things that feels inconvenient. I think you, you judge it right when you say 60-40. Uh, As always, I suspect, I mean, because this hasn't impacted me directly, it's kind of, you know, I, I haven't really cared that much about it. But I'd be interested to hear from anyone who feels like it's been a real pain in the neck for them or there's an app they're now missing that they really liked. I mean, the only suggestion I can say is try and get in contact with the developers yeah. uh, and maybe let them know about it. Because uh, if I've managed to do it, I'm sure others have too. Yeah, and let's face it, if you get in touch with a developer of an application that's, say, two and a half, three years old, they haven't responded to Microsoft, uh, then the application is old, but still working. But if they if they haven't done anything to it in that long, then there may well be other issues and compatibility problems, even security problems, that at least they ought to be aware of and take a look at. So you have to wonder in this modern... Uh, rather paranoid end of 2016 era where, where the fact that something is unsupported may well be a worry. It's certainly a worry. Yeah. In, and for example, on the Android world, I know maybe in the Windows phone and iOS worlds, things are not quite so on a knife edge. But certainly in the Android world, if I'm looking at anything which involves anything with online data and it hasn't been updated for three years, I'm really terrified really as to um, what th th nasties might be slipping into my system. Uh, I think that's right, and optimize for each version. You also typically in that time frame start to see UI and UX changes yeah. uh, such that it feels a bit out of place. And in most cases, there's so many apps to do uh, a specific job that actually, you know, 
you can generally find an alternative. It does become a problem for more specialist apps, but in some ways those are often the ones that are better supported because the, the developer yeah. notes that yeah. you know it's a very special user base. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, specific engineering or something like an archaeology app, where you know, arguably, if it gets abandoned, it's probably because the developers lost interest or no longer has the relevant device or something like that, which is understandable. And I guess that's part and parcel. I mean, it is very frustrating. I think particularly for those who are used to a world where you know you bought the software and you kind of bought physical media and felt like it really did belong to you, um, but you you trade that off against all the benefits that having things like the App Store has brought. I mean, if we go right back to the dim and distant past, Steve. I mean, you can remember running a, a shareware library for the uh, Cyan devices and sending things out on floppy disks via post. I think we've come a long way <laughs> since then. Um, and all in all, actually, it's worth it. Yeah. You do t- teasing the show 200 by any chance there? Just, just a little bit, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if people have a problem with a particular application, if you get in touch with the developer, assuming they are still still around, they may well have not got around to any updates, but there's every chance they can, just like Rafe, scurry off, find the email from Microsoft and sort this out once and for all to get you back on track. And, and for example, things like MetroPass, I was looking for a way to read my KeyPass 2 database on my Windows 10 mobile phone, so I went looking and found there was a brand new Universal Windows platform app, which is the one I reviewed a few days ago, um, KeyPass Reader, which works really, really well. So in many cases, if if you are looking for a placement, you may well be pleasantly surprised. And certainly the number of UWP apps has been um, in- increasing, I think, through 2016. And that's why I've been trying to feature as many as possible on the front page of the site. Um, it's worth mentioning, Ray, if you talk about backup there just very briefly before we move on. Of course, in the iPhone world, yes, the apps do get uh, re- restored effectively from the store. But if you actually do it via the PC, via iTunes, it's the one really good thing that iTunes is good at is backing up your iPhone as a sort of a, almost like a binary backup. And that does work very, very well. But uh, there isn't an equivalent, certainly a, a legal approved equivalent in the uh, Windows phone world. Moving on, though, we must move on. Uh, we've got to try and get this show out in 35 to 40 minutes, not go too long. Um, there's been evidence, this is my headline, evidence for x86 emulation in Windows 10 Redstone 3. This is basically uh, Wintel, as it were, um, x64 emulation on ARM64, Rafe, which uh, to the technical mind sounds eminently doable. Um, in terms of practical application to people listening to this podcast, it's it's not very because we're talking about the very, very latest chipsets. We're going to talk about Redstone 3 is at least a year away as we speak, as we as we record this podcast in terms of hitting production devices. And I'm not entirely sure that this emulation layer, if it appears, and it'll be very valuable if it appears, how well it will run if at all on current hardware you may we may be looking at things like a hypothetical surface phone appearing or whatever in late 2017 that running redstone 3 and that having the the x86 emulation layer in place which means you can in theory sideload um windows uh 64-bit applications into a little container and then they will be acted on and you can run them on your on your surface phone or whatever but it's kind of pie in the sky rafe at this point but certainly interest interesting to watch it is very interesting to watch i mean it's probably a little bit geekier than the topics we uh, usually <laughs> have which is saying something for uh, those <laughs> podcast. um but yes you know this is sort of speculation and it's not surprising that we see this thing now because obviously it's in development and we start to see it uh, i mean it's scheduled for redstone 3 but what I find interesting here, and one says, you know, again, going back in history, for as long as I can remember, you know, people have talked about running Windows apps on the Windows mobile devices. 
And it's obviously never been able to do that. You know, what you kind of got, especially in Windows Mobile in the early days, was a sense of familiar Windows, I'd almost call it symbology, you know, the Windows start button. But actually, it was completely different to desktop Windows. You know, as we've gone on, things have, in theory, come closer together. I mean, we had this with kind of um, Windows on ARM with the kind of the first Surface uh, tablets and a couple of other devices. We had the uh, Nokia device of 2520 as well. Uh, but that was kind of running these uh, Windows Store apps that, uh, that were cross x86 and ARM. And sort of moving on, we've now had the universal Windows apps where clearly you can run on both an ARM device and a Windows device, but a lot of the value of the Windows ecosystem is still in those x86 applications. And I think particularly with the way that Microsoft is positioning Windows 10 Mobile as kind of this universal platform and maybe targeting enterprises more. And so the HP Elite X3 is kind of an example of that. You know, they came up with a workaround essentially by you know, doing a remote connection into a server in order to be able to run these x86 yeah. applications that can that workspace application, which you've talked about in the review of the x3. And actually, it's quite a clever solution. But obviously, there are some compromises inherent in that, not least there's the kind of monthly subscription. There's also the overheads, you know, yeah. real or, or however you want to talk about them for that server. And also, you have to have connectivity and there may be a performance issue. But given that we know that the processors and the memory inside these devices are in fact pretty powerful now and certainly quite capable of running some of the uh, applications running on x86, you know, if you think about a modern laptop or desktop computer, you know, the low end ones aren't that far away in processor and power terms than you know, the high end devices. And particularly if we think about a year's time, it's it's more like a mid tier device almost, particularly if you're not running loads and loads of applications at once. So, you know, it feels like a, the time has come for this kind of uh, technology. And what this would mean, of course, is that, you know, you effectively have an emulator or Windows on Windows, I think it's been described as in, in some of the tech media, with um, the emulator, you know, running Windows apps. And actually, it's kind of already happening on Windows when you talk about 32-bit versus 30, 64-bit um, Windows applications. Most people don't even notice it happening. And so you can see the kind of technology backstory for this from Microsoft. Um, at the moment, uh, as you mentioned in the story, this is kind of um, something that's been spotted in the code base. And then there's been some uh, reporting by uh, Mary Jo Foley. So it looks like it's on the way. It hasn't been confirmed. But I think, you know, if we make the assumption that it is going to happen, um, if we talk about the Redstone 3 timeline, which would suggest basically a year away or certainly yeah. the autumn of 2017, um becomes really interesting because I think that could be a pretty powerful uh, and compelling thing for Microsoft to hold in the enterprise space in particular. I think for consumers, pretty uninteresting. You know, it's not like there's any shortage of apps that people want to run on their phones. You know, you don't hear people going, yeah, I really want to run that x86 application on my Android or my iPhone device. Uh, but for business users, particularly when you think about line of business applications that you know connect to some back-end system that... Um, yeah. are there because there's a bit of legacy involved or just because that's the way the systems have grown up. I mean, don't underestimate how slowly those things move in the business world, that you know, there will be an application, but it's got to work with all kinds of systems. And it just means that you know, developing uh, an iPhone, Android, or Windows 10 mobile version of that or UWP version is impractical. And a lot of the time, that's just because of the architecture it sits on. You know, Most people, or most smartphone apps these days, um, have quite abstracted architecture. And what I mean by that, they have 
you know, a set of UI kind of presentational layer beneath that they have experience APIs, which may or may not be in the application or may or not be at the server level. But underneath that, they'll certainly have service APIs that sit somewhere out in the cloud or maybe on a, a back end in the case of corporate. And beneath that, they have the data layers. But a lot of corporate architecture isn't that uh, sort of in that three layer model or isn't abstracted in that way. And hence, they have these kind of legacy x86 applications, which are absolutely business critical and putting them in the hands of uh, a mobile workforce would be absolutely invaluable. At the moment, really, the only solution is giving them a Windows device or an x86 device, and they don't really exist in the mobile world with the exception of kind of tablets. Um, and, of course, that's not as convenient sometimes as the phone form factor. And if particularly if you look at where all the you know, development in terms of phones and processes going, it's still in the ARM world. That's, that debate yeah. has almost been decided it's all dominant. So I, I don't know about you, Steve, but I think this could be very powerful for Microsoft's offering, particularly in the business space, consumer side less interesting, and therefore we may be kind of getting too excited about something that actually applies to a relatively small number of people. But it does make sense when you view it in the context of the enterprise lens, and particularly with you know looking with the continuum hat on. Yeah, that that's where this is interesting, right? Yeah, absolutely. Let's imagine that uh, Mr. Rafe Blandford safe. Five years, ten years ago, wrote a Win32 application managing concre- concrete structures surveying or something. So a Win32 <laughs> application. You wrote it in C++, and you've been depending on this to, to, to map concrete structures around the world ever since. And you really desperately want to have this run this on some kind of mobile platform. This would be perfect because you would have your Surface phone later next year or whatever, and you'd have be able to load this into a container and run your Win32 concrete structure application quite happily within the overall um, 64 bit arm environment so it's i agree it is it's niche in a sense but most of us have got if you've had any background in windows at all on laptops or desktops most of us let's face it i've got one or two little applications become really rather fond of in my case i'm very fond of the old paint shop pro 4 which dates it's almost 20 years old now i still use it on windows it's 20 years old and most people will have an an application whether it's (laughs) data-based or creative or whatever, uh, or even accessing an online service from the last 10 years, like a favourite application that is Win32. And let's face it, you can't run that at the moment on, on ARM, on, on Windows 10 Mobile. So I think this is very interesting. I'm going to co- obviously carry on following the story. I think the, the, the developments and the leaks we're hearing are gradually shaping what what we can see that the Surface Phone, or whatever it ends up being called, will be. I mean, you can, I, I already mentioned in a previous co- podcast, my, my guess that it's something like a 6.25-inch phablet with small small bezels and, and support for a, a, a pen, as, as, on, an, as in the Surface. And now we're hearing about the, the, the Windows 32, Windows 64, maybe, uh, emulation Windows on Windows. So it's all kind of coming together. And you can see what Microsoft was talking about when they're talking about looking ahead to change the paradigm. We're not not just talking about your average iPhone or even your ad- average Android phone here. We're talking about a, a professional device that you can take with you everywhere. It is your phone, it is your PC, it is even your Windows 32 running PC, and it all fits in your pocket and it hooks up to screens and docks and lap docks and whatever around you. So we're kind of Indeed. entering a, that, that kind of world. Indeed. Um, you know, there's a lot of other things they need to do in terms of getting the hardware right. But since you're in the kind of speculating mood, Steve, um, what do you think are going to be the requirements for something like this? I mean, do you think it will run on current hardware? I mean, my suspicion would be just as Continuum itself, kind of that the best expression of it was on the new devices that came out at the same time as Windows 10 Mobile. Yeah, This is something, you know, obviously it's, it's going to be called Redstone 3. It's going to 
like they're now being called creators update and that's what we've got coming next it will have another's name and it could be you know business update or whatever it happens yeah, to be yeah do you think that kind of the devices of that era will will have a different set of requirements in order to do this kind of emulation i do i i strongly suspect that the best way for the this windows and windows uh, emulation to work will be on the brand new devices. I do think that um, the HP Elite X3, because HP have been rumoured to be in on all of this, I can't believe they'd have specified the X3 in a way that it wouldn't be c- compatible for businesses buying them over a three, four-year time span to to use them as professional tools. I think HP had that in mind, certainly when they put in the 4 gig of RAM rather than 3 gig into the Elite X3. I know you can only currently use 3.5 gigabytes because of um, OS limitations, but let's face it, if you had, if you could upgrade the X3, even via a, a PC-based utility to reflash it to the full 64-bit uh, OS and, and with this new software, these new modules on board, then that would be very interesting and a way of keeping the Elite X3 uh, very, very um, competitive going forward for two or three years. I do think that the 3 gig of RAM, the 950, 950XL might be pushing it slightly. I think they may be kind of unapproved. And there may be a hacker or an insider's way of getting to play with Redstone 3 on those devices with that functionality. But I think it'll be the X3 and devices beyond the X3, um, certainly in terms of RAM and the Snapdragon 820, where I think it'll uh, work best. Another interesting story, Rafe, um, Quick Charge 4 has been announced. I know you've been following the Quick Charge story because you know, you're a bit, a bit of a fan of it uh, since day one. Of course, implemented and introduced by Qualcomm originally and, and taken up by quite a few manufacturers in the mobile world. But uh, Google have gone their own way um, in terms of USB 3 protocols and USB Type-C power delivery, which is basically just lots of amps at 5 volts. So there are clearly rival quick charging systems in place, but Quick Charge 4 seems to roll everything in together and i think google have been working with qualcomm and quick charge 4 basically is a superset of the old quick charge 2 and 3 protocols with the multiple voltage 9 volts 12 volts and so forth and the usb type c power delivery all rolled into one super duper thing so in theory rafe we can get to a stage where i can say right here's a quick charge 4 output and you can plug anything you like into any device and the device and the charger will intelligently work out between them exactly what voltage and what current is best for any given situation does that sound about right yeah i think think that's right steve i mean it, looking through the specification you always have to sort of uh, go slightly cross-eyed trying to understand what's going on but essentially it's about sort of bringing more standardization because as you rightly say there are quite a few different versions of this manufacturers have implemented it in different ways which has resulted in some compatibility issues i mean um, people have also branded it in different ways as to whether it's a Qualcomm thing or not. I mean, Dash Charge from OnePlus, I believe it is. And then uh, Samsung have talked about it in, in one sense. That doesn't really matter. But in terms of um, the compatibility with USB Type-C and the USB power delivery standard, that's where it, it is compliant with that now. And then it's being more intelligent about kind of the, the management of the battery. Before, it was really just a wasn't i was because i hesitate to say it's dumb because actually it's pretty smart but in terms of it was really about the power delivery now it's also being able to kind of take on other elements of the charging process and put protection in there you know for the battery system cables all the connectors as well um there's also been a kind of refinement of the system whereby the device that's being charged will effectively request power to a certain level and actually this is essentially how uh quick charge works in the sense that it requests a a higher than usual kind of charging rate and it does that for most of the charge cycle and then as you get towards the top end of the battery as it gets to 80 percent, that actually slows down 
as I understand it, in the new system, you're uh, essentially getting a finer grain of control over that. And so that means you can smooth out some of the curves. And actually, this is one of the things that was also introduced into Quick Charge 2 versus Quick Charge 3. Sure I get all the naming bits right there. And so essentially, it means you can get through a full battery charge even quicker. So, for example, I know in Quick Charge 4, you now have the ability for a device to request within uh, 20 millivolts uh, the specific power they need to charge um, while also taking into account some of the uh, thermal uh, signatures yeah, yeah. across all the different components. What that actually means in English is, you know, sometimes your device will get very hot when charging. It can make an intelligent decision and say it's not an all or nothing thing. It can step it down gradually. And so that means you'll get the most efficient possible charging without, hopefully, your your phone blowing up. And actually, although Samsung haven't talked about it in any detail, a lot of the speculation around the Note 7 was that there was kind of a misconfiguration or a slight mismatch on the, on the quick charging you know, or the rapid charging in that device. And that was what was causing the problem, which it ultimately led to the recall and the device being uh, canned altogether. Um, so I think it, it's, you know, it's good to see this continue to develop because basically batteries are one of those things that still hasn't really kept pace in terms of iterative developments and moving things forward as everything else. You know, if we think of all the improvements in cameras over the years or in screen technologies, battery have got a little bit denser and so you can get higher capacity and sometimes now you get more flexible shapes. But ultimately, there hasn't really been a generational leap forward. We're still talking about lithium-ion technology in, in the most part. Um, I think, oh, there's one more thing I think it's worth mentioning on Quick Charge 4 is this uh, so-called dual charge, which basically means you can have secondary power management integrated circuits in the device. That means you can have um, kind of more efficient thermal dispense, uh, dissipation and you reduce charging time. So having those kind of things, it's basically all the technology that goes into charging is just getting more and more complex. I mean, uh, whether you think that's a good or a bad thing, I, I don't know. But I, I guess actually one of the rules here is make sure you're using kind of the thing to get the most efficiency out of it. And that can include making sure you're using the right plug, the right cable, and plugging it into the right thing. Um, and if you think about the number of you know ways there are of charging devices out there, you know, from the portable battery chargers, you can get third-party uh, plugs and adapters and all that kind of thing. Um, I, I did come across people who were yeah. complaining that their, their phone was charging slowly and said, well, actually, you've got a quick charge compatible device. So here, try this USB charger that happens to be quick charge compatible and suddenly, of course, it improved yeah. markedly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's good to see this uh, it's continuing development. Yeah, I don't mind having more complexity in the charging systems to do cleverer things as long as there are more safeguards at the same time. And one thing that we're kind of trusting Qualcomm and Google and others to do is the fact that they're not just trying to work out how many amps they can stuff into our fo phones as efficiently as possible. They're also thinking about all the different ways in which things could go wrong and putting more and more and more safeguards in so that we don't have exploding phones and things catching fire. So uh, we're kind of trusting them here, Rafe. We are indeed. Yeah, yeah. Um, moving on, this is a, this is a rolling out to Windows 10 mobile users uh, in Windows 10 Maps. Now, currently, it's just available for people who are actually on the Insiders Fast Ring. But uh, I think we're only a couple of days from this rolling out to everyone, um, I production Windows 10 mobile users. It's basically a way of 
doing something that's a bugbear of mine from a long, long time ago, Rafe, is that you're using Windows 10 maps or in the old, old days, Nokia maps or here maps. So you're driving down a road and the road is closed. Uh, and yet the, the, the map says, oh, no, no, it's not. It's open. And, it, and it's trying to route you through a closed road or vice versa. In either case, you actually need to suggest a change. There's clearly an error in the database. And uh, I've been led astray quite a few times. You now get an option uh, under suggest change. It's on the main ellipsis menu in Windows 10 maps. And you get a place is missing, which is kind of handy if you want to add a place of interest that's one of your favourites, like your favourite watering hole or a particular a, a place that's notable on the skyline. Or, skyline, or um, the map isn't accurate, which is probably the most useful one of all. Um, so, for example, in my case, near my house, there is a Ford. Um, now, the Ford in, in the heat of summer is only about a foot deep and you can drive through it quite happily. The rest of the time, it's decidedly not recommended to drive through it. <laughs> and, and yet Google Maps and Windows 10 Maps and just about every sat nav system seems to love putting people through the Ford because it's quicker because there's basically a road through there. It doesn't matter the fact there's three feet of water flowing over it at 20 miles an hour, which can well be if there's been lots of rain. So it's a great uh, to see the suggest uh, change the map built in. Uh, place is missing or the map isn't accurate. And if you have anything else, there's a third link, which basically just takes you into the feedback hub. And then you can give direct feedback to the Windows 10 Maps team. But yeah, I found a couple of things I added straight away, Rafe. Anything local to you that could benefit from this? I was just trying to think about this because I was going to make a comment about the map seem pretty accurate in somewhere like the UK, but obviously your experience is a little bit different. I mean, I certainly have noticed businesses out of position, and so being able to correct those or indeed add a new one altogether is going to be a useful thing. And uh, I, I can remember talking to, you know, back when it was the Here Maps team um, about this power of crowdsourcing. I think it's something that Google did incredibly effectively. It's actually one of the reasons I think they developed such a good. Uh, kind of point of interest database and they've continued to do so and they've had MapMaker and various versions of this for a while but putting it into the mobile device itself makes so much sense because of course it tends to be when you're out and about you notice <laughs> yeah. things like this and you know you sort of might be a bit skeptical about how often people report it but I do know having done this a couple of times myself and actually I took the trouble to go back to the here website and reporting agent and they did get picked up and in, in my case it was kind yeah. of uh, rural lanes that were connected but weren't shown as such on the map uh, but of course it's worth bearing in mind that in a lot of places the mapping may not be so good so being able to offer these corrections um, is a great thing it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see for something like uh, your forward at world's end um, yeah. Steve, whether that's actually picked up in a couple of months time i suspect it might take a little while to roll around into the into the data yeah and it'd be interesting to know whether this is going to microsoft or whether it's actually being passed back to you know uh here maps which of course you know is uh, is yeah. a partner still of uh, microsoft important for a lot of the data but n nice thing to see and as you say this is going to be kind of it's currently in the kind of insider program but i'm sure this is going to be you know coming yeah. to kind of more general devices uh, very soon indeed yeah, we're looking at for most of these applications, these core platform apps, which are released first on the first on the fast ring. Uh, they tend to take two to three weeks before they make it way to the slow and production ring. So I, I think we're just only a couple of days away from this rolling out. And everyone running Windows 10 Mobile will be able to suggest changes. And you, you I think you hit the nail on the head, Rafe, there, um, noting that my case was rural and, and you and your case was rural roads. It's the rural, the country areas away from the beaten track where 
you and I know all the little bolt holes and the footpaths and what's open and what's passable and what's not. And they don't. All they're seeing is a satellite map at the end of the day. I can't believe all the different mapping vehicles have actually driven every single rural road and every single winding track. In, in cities and towns, of course, it's that, that mapping's foolproof for all of these major companies. But at least if all of us can do our local country roads, then, Rafe, we can, uh, we can wander the byways <laughs> and not get lost. Indeed. Yeah. Uh, moving on in the show notes, um, I did a piece called Into the Creators Update, Redstone 2 Era, the Insider's Slowering Switch. Now, this is important, I think, because a lot of people listening to this will have uh, their main, their primary smartphone on the slow ring of the Insiders, because let's face it, the fast ring does contain a few issues, and uh, even though it's quite exciting. But if it's your primary day-to-day device, the slow ring is probably as much of a gamble as you want to go. Um, but the slow ring um, has finally been um, switched. Rather than tracking in parallel the the redstone, the, the anniversary update ring, um, it's now been switched to redstone too. So now we at last have a a fairly stable, a stable in Microsoft's eyes, stable way of running uh, redstone too, i.e. the creators update on our Lumis like Lumi 930, 1520 and so forth. Uh, even the Windows 10 mobile native devices, um, without too much of a gamble. So I think this is a, a marker in the sand. I think this is the point where you can say to everyone who's on Windows 10 mobile, okay, you want the latest, you want the uh, the Redstone 2 code, you can now jump to the slow ring and sit on that, and that will just be upgraded every month, every couple of months, but you won't get in any unpleasant surprises. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we've talked in the past about the kind of various categorizations of this, and I think, honestly, for most people, the uh, slow ring is actually the one that makes sense of people who are listening to this podcast and are probably willing to take a bit of a risk. Um, you know, if you're not, yeah, probably stick with release preview or production fast. I mean, it's burnt me too many times using <laughs> it as my main device, fine on a secondary yeah. device or whatever. Um, it's probably worth going through that we, why you why we're kind of excited by this with this uh, Redstone 2, or I guess we should really get used to calling it Windows 10 Mobile Creators Update. Um, there's quite a few things under the hood, maybe less that's obvious on the surface right now. Uh, but you've talked in the past, even on the podcast, about the unified update platform, which is basically just me- about making these over-the-air updates smoother in the future. Yeah, yeah. But also you've got the media controls. I believe that's a bug you've been very frustrated by uh, yeah. uh, fixed. And there's also, um, I-, I suspect, the performance improvements are probably the big thing that people are, are, are going to notice um, because it's certainly on the uh, Lumia 950 XL uh, felt quite a bit quicker. And I don't know yeah. if you've installed this on the 950. I suspect that's fairly universal. It probably doesn't apply so much to some of the older devices. No. Um, no. Are there any other improvements that you've kind of picked up on and noticed as being interesting? Well, just to mention that uh, I have tried, and, and people in the comments have tried uh, this, the late the Redstone 2 on some of the older devices with, for example, the Snapdragon 400 processors and have found, if anything, it's slower. So it's quite clear that these new builds are being optimised for the Snapdragon 800 and series and, and above, and specifically the 950, 950 XL and the Elite X3. And that's not at all surprising. I should Absolutely. be very inter- yeah, very interested to, to try, um, the, for example, the X3 with that Snapdragon 820 on Redstone 2. I don't do it yet because HP is still changing the firmware and I need to report on the uh, the improvements they're making, con- continuing to make. Um, but I, th- I suspect the X3 will absolutely fly when it finally gets Redstone 2. Um, in terms of other improvements, Cont- Continuum is better. Certainly in terms of uh, resuming applications and, and showing what, what you had open last time, it still doesn't really preserve state. And that is promised for the next version of Windows 10 Mobile. So maybe that'll come into the insiders builds that we're, we're playing with. 
Uh, multi-windowing, I think that's probably a, a couple of versions out, really. That, that's maybe being a bit, bit hopeful. Um, the start screen, start menu customization is something they talked about for Redstone 2. I, I'm just not convinced all of this will actually happen on time by, <laughs> by, by March, but it'd be good to see some of it. And can certainly continue as a lot more usable than it used to be. Uh, and finally, there are improvements to Wi-Fi and reporting on Wi-Fi versus cellular usage. That there are so the performance is probably the big one, but there are, there are and the media controls, which I think that's that's now been fixed for the anniversary update as well. So I'm a much happier camper than I was, but I'll be even <laughs> happier when I have a faster, more optimized smartphone come March next year. Yeah, and it's probably worth saying that kind of some of the excitements around these updates have been taken away a bit because so much now is in applications are there kind of being updated separately but at some point we will see some of the under the hood features will have an impact on what the applications can do and um, particularly performance of applications um, that doesn't tend to come until kind of later in the update cycle i mean it's something we ended up talking about a lot over the summer as we kind of got to you know redstone one and that update coming and actually in some ways we're still seeing some of the benefits from that i mean we just talked about maps i'm not suggesting that was linked to a kind of a, system update but there are those two two bits to all the updates now you know the system update where you do see things to improvements like continuum which are built in yeah uh, and then the applications themselves i mean i guess it's conceivable that one day continuum could, could become an app update but because i think it's so closely linked to the system itself and the integration it requires i suspect that isn't going to happen anytime soon but yes um best way to get this um if uh, you're looking on some of the old devices you may need to look at the go through the windows 10 mobile update process otherwise it's really just a question of joining the insiders program getting the uh, relevant application from the store and then choosing uh, the slow level in the pick list um, you'll then after a few hours should be able to get this update that you mentioned just uh, uh, version number is uh, build 14965 uh, and just to say again that's on the slow ring um, there are still updates, of course, going out on the fast ring, but as I was suggesting earlier, maybe avoid those. But yeah, good to see this. And I guess you're back into another update cycle until mid-March, um, Steve. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, one final thing before we finish. The uh, AAWP, the All About Windows Phone Universal application, has had numerous updates, actually. It had a big update about a week ago and then two or three more minor updates. The main improvements, well, we, we were kind of looking forward to this apps for websites support, whereby if you uh, tap on a, a link that to an All About Windows Phone story within any other third party app, uh, the OS would intelligently route you through to the AAWP Universal app. Unfortunately, it doesn't work yet because it requires HTTPS support at the server. So that's something you're kind of working on, I think, Rafe. So that doesn't currently work, but it will work one day, we promise. Um, you also get chaseable life tiles. So if you're basically looking at uh, it, while well, it cycles through recent news stories on the, the, the live tile for AAWP Universal. At the moment, uh, before this update, if you tapped on a particular graphic or headline, it wouldn't necessarily take you to the, the right story within the application now it should do that so and, and that it used to that used to annoy me actually rafe on the msn news uh, application built into windows 10 mobile whereby it would show you a, a nice little hair you know a image of donald trump or something for a headline so you'd you tap on it and it would take you to a story about flooding and and that used to really annoy me but so the idea of chaseable live tiles and the anniversary update is that uh, microsoft has made a, a way now for developers to hard code people through from tapping on a specific live tile render into a specific story particular item within the application so hopefully that should now work and there are other changes too so go off and uh, download and update it 
Yeah, and if you really like the app, please go and review it in the store as well. Give it a really good rating. So big thanks, as ever, to Joe for all his hard work on that. I know I've got a few bits to fix on the server to uh, yeah. get those apps for website feature working. So watch your space. We will report back when, when we've got that. And, um, yeah, I understand there's also been a number of bug fixes uh, with Joe having looked at the crash reports. But it's a great way to read all that Windows Phone on your uh, device, whichever Windows 10 device that might happen to be. Yeah, and I particularly appreciate all the special features, like, for example, the way the, the software directories are handled and the galleries. So he's put a lot of work there. In, and even my image comparisons, where you can do the uh, dynamic uh, image interactive comparisons all within the application. And so it's a, a thoroughly uh, recommended way to browse our content. Um, just a teaser for coming, the coming week. Um, I've been testing VR on Windows uh, Phone and Windows 10 Mobile, Rafe. So I know we had the Alcatel I, uh, Idle 4S with Windows 10 Mobile over in the States on T-Mobile. And we thought, boo, hiss, we want some of that on Windows Phone and Windows 10 Mobile over here. Well, you can, it turns out you can do all virtually all of this on your Lumia 950 or 950XL or whatever, um, which is with a standard cardboard or you know £5 viewer from your local bargain shop. Uh, and the various applications and links I shall put in this article, which are coming at the start of next week. And uh, I've been having, I've been up in space rave today. I've been up and down roller coasters. I've been shooting zombies, all in beautiful three dimensions um, on a Windows 10 mobile device. So uh, that's coming soon. Apart from it sounding very tiring, I look forward to reading that article because uh, VR is one of those things that obviously a bit of a hot topic everywhere else as well. Um, but as I think you're probably going to suggest in this article, there's no reason why you can't do it on Windows 10 Mobile as well. Uh, no reason at all, other than getting very dizzy, confused, and w- wanting to throw up. But um, <laughs> let's not go there. Uh, anyway, the next Insight podcast will be number 200. It, this may well be the point at which uh, we go into a Steve Litchfield origin story, which I've been kind of putting off, but I know you wanted to, to see happen, and people have said they're very keen on. So uh, if I can uh, put some notes together and, and try and get some anecdotes in some form of chronological order, then maybe we can uh, attempt that next time we get together, Rafe. If something major happens news-wise, I can thankfully put it off and we can do another time but we'll watch this space yeah i think that'll be a, a fun thing to do steve has a very very long history in this world and it's not just because you're almost an old man now steve it's because you <laughs> got into it when you were it was so young he says managing to put his foot in it absolutely <laughs> but i think it'll be a great way to celebrate our 200th episode i know i've heard a lot of people say that they're keen to hear about it and so I mean, Steve's going to have to put some notes together because I wasn't around for a a lot of the early part of the story. I certainly can cover some of the old bits and ask the right questions. Um, But I think it will be great to kind of have the potted history of what Steve's been up to and favourite device and things like that. If you've got any questions you'd like to contribute to that, just get in touch and I'll very gladly uh, take them on board and make sure we ask them here in the the next episode. Whether it's the next episode or one, we'll we'll have to see what happens uh, news-wise. But we're, we're planning for that and we know uh, a lot of people want to hear it so i guess uh, it only remains for me to say thank you everyone for listening and don't forget to tune in next time for a steve litchfield special maybe <laughs> <laughs>